0: I'm going to be reading in a few minutes. I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter two. This morning, I want to preach on "It's truly a wonderful life," and it is. I wanted, uh, you know, uh, preaching Christmas messages probably one of the most challenging messages that a pastor has, so I'm always looking for some creative angle to tell the Christmas story, so I decided this year I wanted to use a Christmas movie to help illustrate the Christmas story, so I had several things that went through my mind that would help me kind of illustrate the Christmas story. This is one thing that came, uh, one movie that came to mind, there you go. Christmas with the Cranks, but it had no redeeming value, all right? So I thought about this next one here, Home Alone, but it's, it spotlights violence from children against adults, so I didn't think that would be a, you know, a good one, so I thought about something else, Hallmark Christmas movies, but there is no redeeming value at all in any of those movies. It's all the same story. Alright, so then I came down to the ultimate of all Christmas movies. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Don't tell me any different. It's a Christmas movie with all the tenderness that you can get from Die Hard. Okay, so, but I did settle on another movie here, maybe you've seen it, it's called It's A Wonderful Life. For some of you, it's in black and white. You're up there correcting your TV, thinking there's something wrong. But no, that's really how they made movies a long time ago. But it has a great story that interacts with the Christmas story. So I want to use this movie as a way to kind of tell the Christmas story this morning. So if you've never seen it, okay, if you've never seen it, I know most of you haven't, but if you've never seen it, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story this morning. It's the fictional story of George Bailey, who lives in New Bedford, New York. Now, George Bailey, he lives in a small town, never really amounted to much, but he was a dreamer. He wanted to travel the world. He wanted to be an architect. He wanted, he wanted to be well-known, make a lot of money, let his—let his arch, the architecture and design of his buildings be statement of his Talents, and that was his dream to to be married and to to travel the world. And uh, but you know, of course, in the movie, George uh, comes in contact with some obstacles in his life, and this is kind of what the entire movie is about. Now, let me just say, everyone faces challenges and obstacles in their life. Everyone does. When they happen, how do you handle them? When they happen, how do you handle them? So in George's life, and he was very young, he and his, uh, his uh, uh, brother and some other friends, they were, they were having fun on a frozen lake. You know, they, it was so cold, it had frozen over, kind of like here in Tallahassee. We have those memories, right? And as they're on the frozen lake, George and his friends when he was 12 was having so much fun. The ice breaks, and George's brother falls in the water, and George goes in the water, man, very heroically to save his brother. He pulls him out. Wow, great story, but George gets sick because he goes into this frozen water. He gets, uh, gets very ill, gets an infection in his ear, and he is deaf, okay? So one thing that he faced is unexpected circumstances in tragedy, okay? Not planned over the course of his life. So when that happens to you, unexpected circumstances in tragedy, how do you handle that? You see, he was doing good. He was trying to help and be helpful, but now, now he's deaf. Later on in his life, when he wants to go into the military, he can't. During World War II, he can't because of this permanent hearing loss. He faces the rest of his life this disability, even though he was trying trying to do good. So my question to you is how do you handle things like this? Things that come unexpected, unexpected circumstance, unexpected tragedy. Some people become bitter. They become angry with God, and their reaction to this tragedy affects how they deal with people and deal with their life circumstances, you know, for, for the rest of their lives. So some people get bitter, they get upset, they get angry with God, and it really begins to affect, in other ways, the course of their life. Others, when they have unexpected challenging tragedies, they learn to embrace it. They learn to embrace it, okay? I'm not going to let this overcome me. I'm not going to let this unexpected challenge, you know, in uh, uh, my life as I know it. I'm going, to, I'm going to accept it and do the best I can with it. Phil Hansen was, a, was an artist. He had gone to some of the great art schools, and he was a freehand artist, and man, he was making a very good living at art. All of a sudden, he goes to the doctor, and there's a neurological test because Phil had noticed a little tremor in his, in his hand, and the doctor, you know, just told him, yeah, you've got some, some form of light form of Parkinson's, and there's going, you know, you're not going to be able to really get rid of this tremor. So he was so uh, upset, disappointed as everyone would be. When you feel like, you know, hey, where, where did this come from? What, what's going on? I can't do what I want to do. So he kind of quit everything. i got to do something else. I can't be an artist. But when he sat back and he thought about it, he learned to develop, using that tremor, he learned to develop a pin stroke. And he said, you know, I'm going to not let this challenge define the rest of my life. So he accepted this tremor, and he went back into the art world. And you can see some of his art that he does using this tremor. And let me just say, he's made a lot of money over the course of his life because he chose not to be bitter about what was going to happen, but he said, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to walk into this. I'm going to do the best that I can. And he's got a TED Talk, if you like those kind of things. It's 10 minutes. I want you to listen to it. But instead of getting bitter about unexpected challenges and tra- challenges and tragedy, he decided to embrace it and overcome it. And I think that is a great, a, a great thing. So... Everyone faces challenges and obstacles. George, he's deaf in one ear. It affects the rest of his life. So another way that George was challenged, you know, is when your life plan doesn't follow the plan that you had imagined. He wanted to be an architect. He wanted to travel the world. Right when he was ready to make this big move, his father, who owns a small private bank, In this little city has a stroke. And George, being a person of principle and responsibility, forsakes his own dream to go into this bank, start to lead this bank, take care of his father, take care of his mother, right on the brink of really fixing to launch and something that he wanted to do with his life. You know, his his life, you know, his life changed. So you know, what happens when your life changes? You know, have you, have you ever had your plans upended and your plans changed? Closed doors that you thought, you know, that you wanted to be open. You know, just they're closed to you and you've got to do something else with your life. But I want to tell you something. When God changes your plans, He always has a better plan. Okay, we can be upset and, and and mourn and grieve, and that's fine. But when God changes our plans, He always has a better plan. When I was 14, my plan for my life was to follow my dad and be a coal miner. Okay? Go down in the coal, you know, in the mines every day, be a coal miner. Let me ask you this: Is there one person in the world more ill-equipped? To be in the coal mines and provide for their family than me. Your laughter is very hurtful to me. I just want you to know that. <laughs> hey, that was my plan. Five years later, I'm studying for the ministry. Praise God in so many ways. Hey, I just want to remind you, things to remember about God's plan for your life when it, when it changes. God's plan for your life is usually different from your plan, Right? Because we always like wealth and ease and comfort and notoriety with very little challenge, very little obstacles, very little character building kind of things. But God has a different perspective over our life and he sees you and your gifts and he's got so many other things and experiences that if you'll just trust him and walk into that change, you'll look back later and you'll be thankful for that. All right. then God's plan for your life is usually more difficult than your plan. Right. All right. We we love, you know, to take the the path of least resistance. But this is not original with me. God is more interested in developing your character than and, and letting you be a blessing to others than your comfort. So there's always life challenges when he, when he changes your plan. But I want you to remember the promise of God. When you see your life plan change, Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So when your path, your plan is turned upside down, know that God has his hand on you. He will give you sufficient strength, wisdom, and you can make it if you follow through with his plan. What about some other challenges George had along the way? How do you handle them? What about when you play by the rules and it doesn't seem to make a difference? He'd stayed home, took care of his family, took care of his mother, tried to go in the military in World War II. They They wouldn't take him. They took his brother. His brother became a Medal of Honor winner for heroic actions. Along the way, you know, he had uh, you know, he had, he had uh, helped people along the way with this little bank. He helped them, you know, get loans, maybe sometimes that they couldn't afford. He was a person of character and integrity. And then, out of no fault of his own, there's money that is missing from the bank. When the bank inspector comes, now he's about to go to jail because they think he's embezzled this. So he's played by the rules the the entire time, and now, man, it just seems like, what's the point? Why well, play by the rules? You ever thought this? Everyone that cheats, lies, and steals, they always profit. They always come out just a little bit. They always come out just a little bit better, and now, man, he is about to lose everything. He's about to lose the bank, his livelihood, and there's a good chance that he goes to jail. Well, Sometimes we look and go, it's just not worth it. Man, people that steal, they enjoy good life, people that you know that don't play by the rules, things always seem to work out better for them. But I want to just remind you this morning of an immutable law of God, and that is the law of sowing and reaping. Okay. Galatians says in the message: when a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, uh, harvests a crop of weeds, and he'll have to show for his life is a life of weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, and letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvest a crop of real life and eternal life, okay? So I want to remind you, always be honest, always be above board, Plant that seed of integrity, and I promise you, you live regardless of what happens to others, it is an immutable law. If you sow honesty, honesty will come back to you. If you sow generosity, generosity will come back to you. If you show kindness, kindness will come back to you. So he's, he's lived by the rules, but it doesn't seem like it's made any difference in his life. And then adversity. It can push people away from God or bring people closer to God, okay? He goes through this. He's facing, he's facing all of this. He's about to lose everything, but he does something. He calls out to God. Adversity can push, you know, people away from God, or adversity, people can wake up and go, you know what? I need, I need God in my life, and there's a scene where he prays. He's at a bridge and he's thinking about ending his life. And there's a scene where he prays this prayer. God, dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, God. See, sometimes when when we get through adversity, we get so angry, we decide to turn our back on God. But I just want to say, man, the best thing to do is to turn to God in your adversity, all right? And his prayer, I just thought it was great <clears throat> because we think prayers have to be very religious in nature, kind of sound like the Old Testament. You know know what? A, a prayer to God for him to help you in your life is a very simple prayer. It, it, it doesn't have to have all the religious words in it. It's just a prayer for God to be able to help you. And that's simply what George did. When your life is in a mess and you are at the end and you are at your breaking point, can I just say to you, call on God. Call on on God. He will always hear you. He will always help you. And when he did that, things started to kind of change in his life. People in his family had started praying for him. Man, they just started seeking God. It's in the movie that they're praying for him. God started to work on his behalf to kind of untangle some of this mess that he found himself in. And I said it just a member, just a minute ago, and I want you to remember. Please remember when you sow good things, good things will eventually happen to you. It's a mutable law of God. Sometimes it's a little slow when it comes back to you, but it always comes back to you. So when, when, he, when he prayed, he kind of brought himself back to faith, brought himself back to God, and then all those people that he had helped over the course of the years started bringing money to kind of help this, this issue with the bank that he's in. They just started bringing little little you know little offerings here and there. And man, that was just kind of the you know the the end of the movie, you know, like like it'll always come back to you when you do good, when you call out to God. Sometimes we feel like it's slow on the curve, but I'm just telling you when you do good, God always sees and God always remembers, and in some way, God always will pay you back. Remember that. When you sow good things, good things will always happen to you, and God is always watching, and people are always watching as well. Jordan Dwelling. I'm so glad you're here today. Jordan unexpectedly kind of found herself in a single mom's position. I mean, small kids, how old is Carter? Ten and below. Five kids, four, excuse me, I added another one, sorry. Sorry about that. Don't put that on. (laughs) You know, but Jordan you always have your kids in church trying to raise your kids, trying to make a living for yourself and your family. And, uh, you know, we just want you to know, first of all, we pray for you. We realize the situation that you are in, but we want to do something for you. Not for your kids, but we want to do something for you. Just to let you know, man, we love you. We're proud of you. So we have a day at the spa for you all by yourself, okay? All by yourself. Stand right here. Also, we have a great dinner for you that you can take a friend with as well. There's a shopping spree for you. Not your children. No children's clothes on that. All right. And then we're going to pay for your child care as well during that day. Hey, we just want you to know from our church, we love you. We appreciate you. We see the burden that you're carrying. And, man, we just we, we want you to have a Merry Christmas and do something for you. Give it up for Jordan. If you do good things, live right, good things always come back to you. Nathan and Lauren, wow. When I'm talking about life's journey, you know, taking a different tack than what you had, you know, had planned and unexpected challenges, you're the poster family for that, right? But you know what, and you know their story, um, they're raising special needs kids and uh, you know, but they're never one just to retreat and live at home. They are living a full life in the midst of all the challenges, you know, with their, with their children. And, man, they are at church almost every time. I had pancakes with Ethan this morning. I gave him extra syrup as a gift from me to you, okay? Hey, but on behalf of our church, we just want you to know we love you. We want to bless you for Christmas. We know maybe the last season has been kind of tough on you guys. But man, if you sow good things, good things happen. God's hand is upon your life. And on behalf of our church, we just want to do a little something for you this morning. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. If you sow good things, you try hard, God's always watching, and he rewards. I believe that. I believe that. Chris and Kaylee. I'm so glad you're here today. Listen, everybody's life is different. Everybody's life starts out just a little bit different. And you know what? <clears throat> Some people, they, they're they raised and born in church, and they never have any bumps in the road. Some people, man, they have bumps in the road from day one. And that's kind of been, you, know, you guys kind of lied. But you know, in the last couple of months, you've really made this turn toward God you've really tried to kind of straighten your own life out with God's with God's help. Stop stop it stop it stop it stop it. <clears throat> so we just want you to know, man that we've seen what you've let God do in your life. You know, we've seen Kaylee you've been clean for over a year. Chris has come out of teen challenge. Listen, man, we need to celebrate these kind of stories. Okay? <laughs> They're thinking about getting married and sent me a message about that. I'd love to, love to help any way that we can, just from our church. We just want you to know we're behind you. We love you. When uh, you're, you're hitting those bumps, I want you to feel the embrace of your church family. I want you to know that God is for you. You've got a church family that's behind you. We just want to do something for you. Just say Merry Christmas to you. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm out of cards. I'm not coming your way. Everybody's disappointed over here. <clears throat> if you do good things, sow good seed, God will bless you. God will bless you. God will, take, God will take care of you. I got one more card. Bonnie Glover. I want to say something to you, Bonnie. Uh, Bonnie has been faithful here for so many years. Her and Joe. Uh, Joe's had a recent diagnosis of ALS, and Bonnie has found herself kind of being the caregiver now that's difficult in any situations but especially there and Bonnie very rarely is able to come to church and Bonnie we pray for you all the time and I had the chance to talk to Bonnie on the phone this week and just pray with her and I told her I said Bonnie our church we want to bless you we want to what's your favorite restaurant in all of Tallahassee we want to we want to send you there and she said well how about Chick-fil-A? <laughs> I said, are you serious? Really? <clears throat> you guys wouldn't have said that, would you? You'd have stepped it up on me. So she said, well, how about Sonny's? So you know what, Bonnie, I'm going to bring it back to your house this week because we want you to know that we love you. We know the situation that you and Joe and your family are in. We want you to know we haven't forgotten you, that we pray for you. So this will be for several meals from Sonny's. And because it's Christmas, I included a Chick-fil-A card as well. Give it up for Bonnie. So I used It's a Wonderful Life as a movie because it's kind of a rough representation of all of our lives. We've all got these kind of issues that that happen over our life. But in the background of the movie, there was another story as well. There was a story in the backdrop that kept trying to interweave itself into George's life. And that is the Christmas story and the gospel story of hope and redemption. Can I remind you today? That before your story ever began, before you ever took your first breath upon the earth, there was already another story that was in the background of your life that has been trying to intersect with your life for some of your lives for a long time. That is if you'll allow it to intersect with your life. You see, God never forces his story upon anyone. He only comes by invitation when you invite him to come in. Now let me just say too, he doesn't come in just to fix the tragedies of our life and clean up our messes. Yes, he can do some of that, but the reason that he came was much deeper than just to clean up our life's messages. He came to give us hope. He came to give us redemption. He came to give us salvation, and that is the true story of Christmas, and you truly can have a wonderful life. So, I just want to take a moment. And I want to tell you about this other story that's kind of been in the background of some of, your, some of your lives. Yeah, we start the Christmas story at the birth of Jesus. But actually, it started before his birth about 600 years before. Really, it started before that, but I want to talk about 600 years. God had already given the law to people, the Ten Commandments, through Moses. And this law was to help people, you know, uh, come to God, be more godly, know God in a better way. And it had been around for thousands of years. But yet at this point, man, this law, I mean, people were just ignoring it. People were more ungodly. They were more wicked. They were more violent. And 600 years before the birth of Christ God's frustration with humanity started to bubble over as he expressed himself through some of the Old Testament prophets. I want to read this to you. This is what God says about 600 years before the birth of Christ. He said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your song. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Very irritated with the people of God. In Zechariah, he said, but they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and they covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint." They would not listen to the law or the words of the Almighty that He had sent through His prophets earlier. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. When, I, when, when they called, I would not listen. All right? Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Another thing, you flood the Lord's altars with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer looks with favor on your offerings Or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all that do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And then he is pleased with them. And then Malachi puts the period at the end of his book. I mean, this frustration of the Lord. And then for 400 years, there is silence from God. 400 years. Our country is 245 years old, okay? Just imagine that. 400 years, God said, I'm done. As a parent, you ever had that moment with your kids? Just hush. I don't have anything to say to you. I don't want to talk to you, all right? The Lord said, that's it. I gave you the law. I've done miracles in your midst. I've shown you favor. I've given you blessings, and this is what I get. I'm done. I'm done. 400 years. And during that 400 years, the world began to spiral in an even worse situation. Wars, fighting, racial conflict, fading spiritual passion. You know, there was no prophets to to remind the church. There were no great miracles. There were no great deeds during this 400 years. It was just silence, and it was just this hopeless existence. I'm sure people thought, man, is God just... Walked away? Is he just done? Where? Where is he? But I want you to know that God loves us so much, even when he's disappointed with us sometimes, he just can't stay away. We get irritated with our kids sometimes, but man, we love them. We love them. 400 years, no prophet, no miracle, no acts, no word from God and then all of a sudden an angel stands before a little girl named Mary wow what a what what a great story greetings Mary you're highly favored the Lord is with you Mary was troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be the angel said to her don't be afraid Mary for you found favor with God You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. At the end of that 400 years, the Lord said, I I can't be silent anymore. And he chooses Mary. What a great story. Why Mary? You know, Mary was faithful to God. Mary was faithful to God and lived an anonymous life. You know, she didn't have a spotlight. There was no applause. There was no recognition, you know, for, for, her, for her life. She just lived faithful to God without applause, just serving God as a, young, as a young teenager. And she lived a lifestyle that was pleasing to God as well. Through the Scripture, they refer to her many times as the virgin, Okay. That, that term meant a little more broadly sometimes than we think that it means now. It just didn't mean sexual purity. It just meant a lifestyle of holiness, okay? So when they made that reference to her, they were just talking about the holy life that she lived. And in this story, it just reminds us, because sometimes we think spiritual greatness only comes with great opportunities that emerge because of our gifts or talents, but I just want to tell you that's not necessarily the case. I want to say to every young person, man, you just live for God when the spotlight is on and when the spotlight is not there. You just be faithful to God your entire life, and God will use you beyond your greatest measures. Okay? And then there's was, there was Joseph. Joseph. Wow. He's introduced to this Christmas story, this gospel story in Matthew chapter 1. And he's got these conflicting emotions. The woman that he loves has just told him that he is pregnant. She, she, excuse me, it's a whole different story there. (laughs) We can edit that out, appreciate that. (laughs) That she's pregnant, okay? Well, he's got these conflicting emotions. The Old Testament says if you're engaged to someone, man, and you become pregnant, man, there's a harsh penalty for that. So he's hurt, he's angry, he's disappointed. The right thing for him to do would just be to take her to the town elders and expose what has happened. But he also loves her. He deeply, deeply loves her. And this is, look at this conflict of emotions when we read Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See the conflict? See the emotional conflict that he's got there? After he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Wow. Joseph was a good man. You know, he just thought I'm going to do, you know, we live in cancel culture now. Or when somebody does something wrong, you ruin them, you expose them, you embarrass them so that they, they can't move on from that. But that was not Joseph. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to keep this quiet. If he divorced her, he was trying to do it. He was trying to do it quietly. But he was a good man. He was considerate of her reputation, you know. And then he got the message from the Lord, hey, this is me. You name him Jesus, and he's going to save the people from their sin. Well, you know the story. They find themselves, you know, in Nazareth, you know, going to Bethlehem, this long journey, you know, uh, for the census, you know, like for taxes. It's all about taxes, isn't it? It always comes down. It always comes down to taxes. So they make this long journey. Hey, she's nine months pregnant. Look at that. Ladies, any sympathy there? You know? Wow. I, I had Becky when Kelsey was born. We pulled into the emergency room. I'm 90 miles an hour. 20 minutes later, we were holding a baby, okay? I broke every law. Asked God to forgive me on the way. Different kind of experience there. They come to Bethlehem. You know the story. No room in the inn. They find this little trough. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, you ever been to Bethlehem, which we're going to take that trip. You've been in the shepherd's fields. You know, you've seen the little, the little caves where they, where they, they believe that Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary and Joseph gave birth. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace to those in whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I love this scene, okay? Because the very first public pronouncement of the gospel in Jesus' birth happened to the poorest and of the lowest class. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great message? Shepherds, they had no money, had no social standing. But the first public cantata the first musical, the first Christmas drama that ever occurred happened to the lowest and the poorest. There's a message in that. There's a message in that. About the same time, there were wise men, the magi. They lived a long way away, over a thousand miles away. All right? All right? They were kind of priests, somewhat religious, even though they weren't part of a formal religion. They believed that you could get messages from the heavens that, that, you know, that, that you know, sent messages to us here on the earth. It was before Islam, so they, they were open to you know, this kind of presentation, this message from the heaven, the heavens. So they determined in their studies that there were unusual movements in the constellations that they felt like contained some kind of message that would be revealed over in Judea. So they did a very unusual thing. They packed up. They're over a thousand miles away on their camels. They packed everything that they had for this journey And they started this long 1,000-mile journey to Judea, not really knowing what they would find. Listen to me. When you search for something to satisfy the heart, no sacrifice is too great. Didn't know where they were going, didn't know how this would end. This was not a trip for trade or commerce they weren't christians at all but just something felt right to them for them to make this journey maybe some of you are like that today you know maybe you haven't given yourself your life to christ but you're you're on that road you feel like there's more there's got to be more to this world than just materialism and violence and greed there's got to be more in this life than just relationships and money. There's got to be more. And you may find yourself maybe on a pathway maybe like these magi, searching for something but you're not sure where it leads, you know? Why were the magi the only ones to see the star and perceive its meaning? Why weren't there hundreds of people there? Because they were looking, they were curious, and they followed what was in front of them. Some people have this hunger in their heart, but they never lift a finger, they never take a step for any kind of fulfillment in their life, and that's not what, that's not they, that's not what they did. So here they come after this journey, and they approach this manger these people have had no religious training at all they have there's no church they come from persia they come from arabia and they approach this manger with the utmost and it's an amazing scene they're happy they're overjoyed you know there was no worship pastor encouraging them to do what they're about to do there was no pastor giving giving instructions just spontaneously. They begin to approach this child because they found whatever they were looking for in their hearts, they found that in this Christ child. And they begin to bring gifts. And these weren't random gifts. They had no idea, but man, these gifts lined up with the gospel as the first Magi brought gold the the metal of royalty kings overladen their their thrones with gold they brought a they brought gold for the king of kings they bought frankincense for the priest they had no idea frankincense is what they used in the temple frankincense is what the priest would light that meant worship and prayer going up to god frankincense was was a sign that Jesus would one day be our priest, the ultimate priest who would go behind the Holy of Holies. They had no idea. These weren't random gifts. They gave gold, they gave frankincense, and they gave myrrh. Myrrh was used to anoint, but it also was used for burial. It was a very fragrant spice that that you would use to kind of counteract the balance of decomposition. They had no idea. They had no idea. As they brought that last gift, is that we see the entire gospel story displayed in front of us. This little baby, but yet there's myrrh because there's going to be a day that he's going to die. He's going he's to be the sacrificial atoning lamb for all mankind. George Bailey had all kinds of ups and downs in his life, all kinds of challenges. But yet there was another story, there was a, another story greater than his that had already happened that was trying to get his attention. The Christmas story, the gospel story. And that may be you today. Maybe some of your life mirrors George Bailey, man, you've got, you know, you've got unexpected challenges. You've had life plan changes to some of you. You may be at the end of the rope, okay? You're here today at the, at the invitation of maybe a friend here just to go to a Christmas service. But I just want you to know God has something. God has something for you, Okay? He, you're not destined for a life of hopelessness. You're not destined for a life of depression and discouragement. He can change your heart, and he can change your life. Some of you, maybe you're like the Magi. You're on a journey. You're a seeker. You're not really, you, you know that there's something deeper and more meaningful in your life than money and social media likes. It's, it all seems so superficial, but I am telling you, there is something deeper, and there is something more meaningful to your life than those kind of things. Worship team, you guys can come. The Christmas story is more than just a cute story. Babies, mangers, you know, all the all the all the things that, that happen with it, angelic choirs. It's it's really the story of the gospel. And I don't know what your background is, but I'm telling you his story has been trying to intersect and interact with your story for a long time. And if you will let him, you can have a truly wonderful life as well. It won't be a perfect life. There'll still be challenges, okay? But you got the Lord as your anchor, okay? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I just want to pray in just a second. man. if you're here today, <clears throat> and maybe you've drifted away from God, maybe you're away from the Lord this morning, not where you should be. Maybe you got all kinds of disasters in your life and you're going, how in the world? I'm just telling you, the best thing to do is to start with that anchor, start putting God first, seek first, the kingdom of God, he says. And he said, I'll take care of other things. The very best decision is to make him Lord and Savior of your life. Hey, and then he can help you kind of untangle and work your way through these other, these other challenges. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Will there be anyone here today say, Pastor, I'm just not where I should be. Would you just pray for me this morning? Can I just have some prayer today? really quick would you just raise your hand up and down just say pastor would you pray for me this morning I just need God's help in my life yeah I see I see hands there yeah yeah they're gonna put a prayer on the screen and I just want you to I'm gonna say that prayer as well but if that's you this is your moment This is your moment. It brought George, all the calamity in his life, brought him to a simple prayer. And that's all that we have this morning is just a a simple prayer for you this morning. And if you'll just pray it, it's up on the screen. It just says, Father, I know that you've broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I'm truly sorry and want to turn from my sinful past towards you. Please forgive me. I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and was resurrected from the dead and is alive and he hears my prayers. I invite Jesus to become the Lord of my life, to rule and reign in my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. It's the simplicity of a prayer like that that can start a life on a different trajectory and man that ends up in eternity in heaven with Jesus. Amen. Amen.